Good morning, church. I got one. Good morning, church. Come on, after that worship. Man, we sang one of my favorite songs, Anything is Possible. We serve a mighty God, which anything is possible. And I love the fact that we're back together. I love Sundays. I love singing praises to God and celebrating life change through His Jesus through Jesus Christ, his son, and I love celebrating with all of you. If I could be honest, this is how I want to start my week. Man, I want to come here and sing praises with you, my family. We have to sing to our awesome God. Speaking of life change, anybody see what's on today? Come on. If you are new with us, this, this light represents someone this past week who surrendered life to Jesus Christ. And so every time someone surrenders their life, we want to celebrate that because that is the reason we exist. That's the reason for the church to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. And this week, we celebrate Brian. God, thank you for Brian's salvation. <laughs> little, little side story. Brian came up to me last Sunday. He goes, hey, I, I, what, do I, what do I need to do to baptize? What's my next step to be baptized? And I said, okay, what was your first step? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He goes, yes, I did. I said, when did you do that? He goes, well, this past week. I'm like, you got to tell us this guy. Come on. We're all excited. And I think he's going to be here second service. And I said, when you come here next week, we'll be celebrating your life change in Christ. So that we'll never, never, come on. We'll never stop celebrating lives being changed. Good morning to all of you who are joining us online. Man, I, I wish you were here, but I love the fact that we have the technology to, to connect with you with the word of truth, no matter where you are on a Sunday morning. We love you. We worship our Lord with you this morning. We pray that God, that you is working in your life in a real way today. And if you're new with us, welcome. Come on, church, give it up for our guests. We are excited that you are here this morning. My name is Rich. I have the blessing to be one of the pastors on staff here. I have this blessing to serve with an amazing team, and we get to serve an amazing church. And if you are new this morning, I hope you take a moment before you walk outdoors to connect with someone here today who calls Vertical their home. You'll see why we love being a part of this family, because they're an amazing, amazing church. I hope when you walked in this morning, you were made to feel welcome and wanted, right? That you were willing to come back and spend some time with us, maybe even next week. Right? Come on. Next week as we celebrate Easter. You know, speaking of Easter weekend, come on, let's talk about it for a second. We are only days away, several days away from coming together and praising God for a risen Savior. And I hope, yeah, come on. I hope that you are planning to come and hang with us. It's, it's an amazing weekend. And, man, it doesn't just kick off on Sunday. We have a Friday night, Good Friday service at 7 p.m. I hope you're planning to come to that. It's going to be a very intimate time of worship and message. Going to bring things back a little, bring a little close to us and have this conversation about what Jesus has done for us. We do, churches across America do an amazing job of celebrating the risen Christ, right? But there's also another part of that. He had to die. And we want to come back together and remember what it cost our Heavenly Father for us to have a risen Savior, right? Amen. So we'll we just kick off that Friday night, 7 p.m. And then, I'm clapping again. And then, and then we have Easter Sunday. Yeah. Right, come on, Easter Sunday. We have three services on Easter, 8, 9, 30, and 11. Say it with me, 8, 
I hope you are planning to be here, one, two, or three of them. You're going to get invite cards again today when you walk out. Pray over those cards. Hand them to someone that you want to join you. Tell them all the cool kids are doing it. <laughs> Maybe that won't work. <laughs> but invite them to come, man. We just... We want to get the word of hope of the risen Savior out to as many people as possible. We continue to want to see the light on as lives being changed. And Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, is a way we can just come together. We will raise the roof in praise for our risen Savior. Uh, I hope you are planning to be here because it's going to be an amazing weekend. So today, today we're bringing to close this latest series that we've been walking through together titled Awaken, Igniting a Revival Starting with You. Igniting a revival starting with you personally. It's been my hope and prayer as we're walking through this series that the authority of the living word and the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you and his child. By the way, that power is the same power that rose Christ in the grave. Just want to throw that out there in case you're wondering how much power that sits in you as Jesus' follower. Um, and and it, it, that's God's birthing in something inside of you, a revival inside of you, that's something that hasn't been there for a long time or something new in your life. That flame of purpose that we've been speaking about the last several weeks is starting to burn in a way that you were going to live for and reach people for Jesus Christ. Um, this past week, uh, this is kind of like a dumb moment, but I'm going to say it anyways. As I was preparing for today's conversation, I started reflecting back on what we've been walking through in this series the last three weeks. And I thought, man, how beautiful it has been to see God's word not only come alive through this series, but come together for his purposes. Um, I, I mentioned right at the beginning of the series, this is not a series that I plan on doing. I actually fought, for God, fought against God for several weeks or a month on this. And he's like, no, 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 do this one. So, okay, it's up to you. And I hope he's, doing, he's done a great job pulling it all together. It's been such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, by the way, if you've missed any of these conversations in this series, you were missed a Sunday or two Sundays, you can go back to our podcast. I don't know if you know we have a podcast. You can go back. I want to encourage you to go back this week and spend some time walking through them. And as you're doing that, I believe if, you are, if you're opening your heart and your ears and your mind to, to what God is showing you, what God is telling you, and if you're courageous enough as you step into those and listen to them, I believe God's going to move you in a way and you're going to start living for Jesus like you've never lived before because that's what the word does, man. It just, it's alive and it changes and convicts us to live for him. But today... We, we finish our time with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy who lived roughly about 2,500 years ago that God used in a mighty way for his purposes. And last week when we left Nehemiah, uh, he completed his preparation of rest. Right? He, he got to Jerusalem with all his people, with all his resources, and he took a time of rest to prepare physically, mentally, and spiritually to go do what God had called him to do. And then he went out and checked out the work. It was before him. He said, okay, this is what we're going to tackle. This is the problem that we're going to address. And then he went to his people and he called them out. In fact, you can see on the screen, chapter 2, verse 17. This is what he says. He says, you see, he's talking to the people. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. You see the trouble that the American church is in. You see the trouble that we're facing across our country about where the spiritual needle is for Jesus. Come, let us build back the kingdom so the church will no longer be in disgrace. That's what I shared last week. 
And then he told him, so listen, the hand of God was on his mission. I believe the hand of God is on this mission, right? Right? And they responded. Look at how they responded in verse 18. Look at this. Let's start building. This is the job. God's with us. And the people responded, let's go do it. And so this is where you and I step back into the story this morning to hear what God has going on back then and what God has for us. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps with you, open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3, we're starting at verse 1 this morning. If you grabbed an orange Bible on the way in, you will find it on page 330. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, or page 330 in the orange Bibles. By the way, if you grab the Bible and you don't have one of your own and you want one, please take that. That is our gift for you. We desire for you to have a copy of God's word. If you saw them on the way in and you don't have a Bible, grab one on the way out. We want you to have a copy of God's word in your hand. So hopefully if your Bible's with you, your Bible app's open. We're going to reading from Nehemiah chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, Elishab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the joining section, and Zakar, the son of Imri, built next to them. Verse 3, it says, The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hanasana'ah, and then they laid its beams and its doors and bolts and bars in place. Mirmoth, the son of Uriah, and the sons of Hekaz, the repair of the next section. Next to him, Meshalim, and the son of Berechah, and the son of Meshabazel, and made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Banah, also made repairs. The next session was repaired by the man of the men of Tokea, and their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Let's just stop right there real quick. Uh, stop, we look at this. As I read this, there's two things that I'm thinking. One, who in the world can pronounce those names? <laughs> I just spoke with confidence. I have no idea if I said them correctly. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, my word. <clears throat> but this is what I see what's happening. I see what's happening with God's people, what they were doing. And then I reflect back to our series. And this is what I'm reminded us for us as a church. Revival starts with you, but it doesn't end with you alone. Right? Revival starts with you, but it doesn't end with you alone. For the past several weeks, we have been focusing on God birthing a revival in you, a personal passion within you to step out in great faith, to step into what God is calling you to do in your life for his kingdom purposes. But a revival never ends with us. It ends with all of us aligning our lives for his purposes. We are the body of Christ. Amen? We are the body of Christ. And just like our bodies, the body is made up of many, many, many parts put together for one reason. For us, it's to live so we can survive. And for the body of Christ, is to teach people to share Jesus so they can have life. When I'm on fire... 
When you're on fire, and you are on fire, and you are on fire, and you are on fire for Jesus, man, that we all come together, something radically happens for the kingdom. When his kingdom is being done on earth and is in heaven, when we link arms, we become a Jesus force that cannot be stopped. Amen. Nehemiah showed up in the scene, and he already he was ready to go, and he preached the redemption of his people, redemption of his land in Jerusalem, of the nation, and he, he, they went at it together. And if you went back and you read in, in verse 17, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, you see that he used the words, he says, do you see the trouble that we are in? Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He keeps on referring to us as a group. He knows the job in front of him that can't be done by himself. He needs the God's people to align to his purposes and step into the mission. Revival, my friends, is never a me thing. It's always, always a we thing. When we are unified, more is done in the name of Jesus. It's just like that phrase I'm sure that you have heard before. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Why? Fast burns out. Together, fires up. I don't know if you've ever sat by a fire and just sat there and watched it burn, looked into fire. I'm not talking about being all crazy, like, ooh, fire, fire, fire. Not crazy like that. But if you ever sat there and watched it burn and stare into the fire and watch the coals just glow and go hot and shift in different colors, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. But what happens when you take one of those coals out of the fire and you put it by itself over on the side? What happens to it? It starts dying out, right? What was burning red, hot, looked amazing, starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And eventually it goes black and it gets cold and it's worthless. It doesn't do anything for the fire. Well, that's the same for us. The same for you and I as followers of Jesus. We're never meant to minister alone. We can't do life alone. We need the fire, the body working beside us, left and right, going forward together. We need that. And if we do, we live that, understand, if we just take that coal that was dying out and we just pick it up and put it back into the fire, what happens? It ignites. It's no longer cold and dead. It gets back to its original flame. It's like my brothers and sisters and coals are around me, man, and I'm just ready to go. That's what it's like for us as a church. We can't be single coals over here thinking, we're going to go at it. No, man, we need to be in the center, surrounded by God's people who are on fire for Jesus. And when we do, we get hotter and hotter, and the flame keeps on growing and growing. You know what happens? We start igniting other people around us. People come to Christ. You know, and some of the most on fire people I've ever met for Jesus are people who have just surrendered their life to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, have you been around them? They're like, hey, 
you got to hear what God did for me, man. I, I started my life. I'm a new creation. And this is amazing. i got to tell you about this Jesus who's radically changed my life. They become super infectious. Get around them. Because sometimes we get so punched in the face by this world when it comes to living for Jesus. We're like, whoa, I'm going to swing back here. I'm going to let those, those on fire people talk about Jesus. I, I've told people. No, no, we got to get up next to them. We get back into the fire and get all juiced and ready to go. You know, a few weeks ago, friends of ours from Bloomington were here. They're the ones I shared with you back in week one. Uh, they were part of the Jesus Revolution in Buffalo, New York. Um, they actually came in and he said, they were, we're introducing ourselves as Rich's and Stephanie's Jesus friends. Um, <laughs> Let me just tell you, by the way, they loved it. They loved being here. They loved meeting a lot of you. Thank you for loving on our friends. Um, they're already planning to come back and hang with us on a Sunday. Uh, but that afternoon, Stephanie and I were able to sit down and talk with them intimately about their experiences during that time. What was it like to live during that re Jesus revolution? What was it like to be used by God? And it was such a beautiful moment for Stephanie and I. We're sitting there having a conversation with our friends and to see their, their eyes just start glowing and, and being just like, this is amazing that we get to share and tell these stories. Um, it wasn't just in the stories that they shared and they shared a ton of them with us that afternoon, but it was also deeply emotional for them because they sat back and remembered how God used them and it was an amazing moment of their lives. See what they did? They lived in a house called, they call it the House of Life. And the House of Life, it was this big house that sat on a street corner in Kenmore, New York, just outside of Buffalo. And they call it the House of Life. And uh, they were just like in awe of like talking about what God had done in their lives through this ministry. But there's a common thread in our conversations with them. As we kept on talking about this story and that story, it was throughout their entire conversation, it was about togetherness. Outside of God being at the core of everything, it was togetherness. They kept going back and talking about what they did together with all the people who were with them. And how they worked together to make money to live. They created a, a construction company. They all got in and worked a part of it. And they bought food and paid the bills. And, and how they all worked together. And then they went outside and they did little mini revivals. And they talked to people about Jesus. They were always doing it together. And how they worked together for the kingdom. And as they kept on talking story after story they started mentioning names. Hey, do you remember this person? Hey, do you remember this person? And John and Steve and Joe, and we're talking about all these different people, and they were just excited. Why? Because they were doing it together. Steve and Elizabeth couldn't do this mission with God to come to the house of life by themselves. It took a group of people. I remember a story that Stephen shared this he walked, he said, listen, we had this house, and one night there was a knock on the door, and he goes, I opened the door, and there was this young lady on her knees, and she was crying, and she looked up, and she says, what do I need to do to be saved? And Stephen started telling me, sharing the story, and he would start crying. 
that was 40-some years ago. This house of life, he's telling us that they, they, the six of them, start out with six of them, and they stood across in the street and looked at it, and they prayed that God would provide a way that they could have it. They didn't own this house. They're like, God, we, want, we believe that's the home. That's where you want us to start this ministry. And they sat there and prayed on the street corner, six of them. And then he turned around and went in the coffee shop behind him, and they couldn't afford six cups of coffee. They only bought five. And God provided. And God used them all together. God used the house of life. So many people coming together, aligning for his purposes, and so many lives were changed for the kingdom. Friends, revival starts with us. But it does not end with us. And if it does, it's not a revival. We need each other. We need to come alongside, link arms for kingdom purposes. We need each other burning hot. Because, you know, we have these seasons of lives where some of us are not burning hot as, as the other. And what we do is we just feed off each other. That's what happens in a fire. We need each other to keep on moving forward. And we ignite others along the way. Continue reading in verse 6. It says, uh, Jesenah gate was repaired by Judiah, the son of Passah, and Meshulam, and Besodah. Oh, my word. Uh, they, be confident. I was reading this this morning. I was like, yeah, this is all you, Jesus. Um, now I lost my spot. They laid the, its beams and its doors with the bolts and the bars in place. And next to them, the repairs were made by men of Gibeon, of Mizpah, and Melthith, of Gibeon, and Jordan, and Miramoth, and the son of Haniah, Hariah, and the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and the holy smokes, and Hananiah, and one of the perfume makers. I chose this. No, God chose this. I'm trying. Uh, the perfume makers made repairs uh, that they would restore Jerusalem as far as the the broad wall. Let's stop there again. This is such a sweet reminder for us. Because as we read through these, and God, forgive me for messing up all their names. Um, that was not intentional. But when it comes to revival, when I read these verses, again, I'm just, God uses the willing, not necessarily the talented. God uses the willing, not necessarily talented. <clears throat> in fact, in chapter 3, Nehemiah lists 40 men by name and, and people from eight towns representing hundreds of probably if not thousands of people. And if you were to look at the list and you were to go back and read it, they were normal people who just stepped into the mission. They were, the wall builders included people of priests, perfume makers, Daughters, goldsmiths, merchants, most of these people didn't sound like the people of muscle that you want to build a project of building a wall. But they were willing. And God is looking for the willing. He is still looking for the willing. Oh, he will use the talented. 
Absolutely. And in fact, part of the problems is that too many of the talented are not willing. They're not willing. They're too busy sitting on the sidelines or off doing their own thing, not God's thing. Friends, God is looking for the willing. But the problem you and I have faced in our culture and our society, we have been programmed to look for the talented. We have been programmed to look for the specialized people because we want to live in a specialized society. Let's just peel this back and look at this for a minute. Um, SAT scores. SAT scores was used, used to be used, what allowed you to get into particular colleges. You have to hit a certain score to get into their college. In order, you had to hit a certain score to get a certain amount of financial assistance. And so what people are saying is those who get C's, the people who get C's, maybe they're not worthy to get into that college. The people who get seized, maybe they don't need the financial assistance. Or maybe they don't think they need to be a part of our college because maybe they're not going to do something great for society. I'm going to say, I'm going to get in my little soapbox here. That was me. I didn't have C's. I had D's. <laughs> in high school, not in college. And all over, people are like, no, Rich, you should go to a community college. You can get in there. You don't have to take your SATs. You should, go, you should just go there. What were they telling me? Well, we want specialized people to go here. Those are the people. Let's just look at sports. Think about sports. The NFL has this thing called, they call the NFL Combine. And they bring all these guys in who, who think they're going to play in the NFL, and they measure everything about them, their IQ, this testing, that testing, how big their bicep is, how high they can jump. And it's like, okay, we're looking for the elite. Because the elite are the ones, are they going to do something in the NFL? Anybody hear this guy named Tom Brady? wish I didn't. <clears throat> I know I just lost my friendship with Dania and Matt. The guy was a seventh round pick. He sat behind a guy named Drew Bledsoe. Never thought this guy, Tom Brady, was ever going to show up and do anything, but he showed up and did a couple things. You get the idea, right? We're trained to look for the elite. And that is so far from kingdom purposes. God is looking for the willing. He is looking for the willing. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Church, read your all right, yes, read your Bibles. Come on, when you go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today, you show that God crushes this cultural norm that we and I live in right now. In fact, if you go back and look at it, it says that the parts that we think are less honorable are treated with special honor. 
The parts that people think that are absolutely worthless are used in an amazing way for the kingdom. The revival of the church of Jesus Christ is an all-skate. I know I just dated myself. Okay, I'm okay with that. Does anybody remember what skating parties used to be like? Okay, anybody under 40? We used to have these things called skating parties. They used to have them at schools. This company would show up and they have all these racks of roller skates, not roller blades, roller skates. They had four wheels on them and a little stopper, right? And you go out and you'd roller skate and you go on a circle and they'd play some really cool music. And you'd be having fun. Girls are like, wee. Guys are like, right, right. And they would do certain things throughout the whole the whole night. They'd have like a girl skate, then they have a guy skate. Someone would always get hurt in a guy skate. And then they had couple skates, and you would just find a, a girl, and you'd want to go out there and skate because if you look like a couple, you got a free pass. We all love free passes, right? And you go out there and have this great old time. But then they'd say, all skate, and everybody would go in. Everybody would leave, and they play some amazing rock song. I don't know what it was. But we're like, oh, man, we're going. And you're all up there. That's the church. That's a revival. It's an all-skate. Not everybody. We all get to play. It's not we all get to. For a revival to happen, we all need to. God is looking for the willing. He's looking for those who are willing to step up and step into the game. He's looking for those who are willing to set aside some of their their wants, their needs, and their preferences to seek his wants, his needs, and his preferences. When God was talking to Isaiah, and they were having this conversation when Isaiah had this picture of the throne room, God says, who will will we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah simply said, send me. I want to be a part of what you want to do. And so the church, I need to ask you, are you willing? Are you willing? I'm not asking if you're talented. I'm not asking, asking you if you think you're talented or you don't think you're talented. Or, I'm not asking anything about your talents, your abilities, and gifts. I'm asking, are you willing? Are you willing to get in the game, step in the field, do something for Jesus? Not just you, but with the person next to you. And the person next to them, and next to them, because we're going to set up this. We're going to put this gate in place. And we're going to go over here, and we're going to dedicate that. We're going to do that. But we're not going to talk about gates and Jerusalem and the wall. We're talking about communities for Jesus Christ. Are you willing? And if you are sitting there saying, yes, Rich, yes, come on, I am willing. What are you willing to change in your life to make it feasible to be willing? What are you willing to change to go out and, and show and prove that you're willing? Don't just say you are. Live it. Because here's the truth. And here's the last point for this series. 
Revival is truly not about you. It's about all those around you. Yes, it takes all of us. Yes, it takes us being willing, but the goal is not us. It's all about them. And those them that I'm talking about is all those people who round us who don't know Jesus. Revival's not about us. Like, look how on fire we are. Revival's look how on fire we are because we're consuming, bringing people into the kingdom with us. We're not just bringing people to Jesus. He's saving souls. Man, we're part of what Jesus is doing, filling heaven, friends. Another fascinating fact about this list of people who were building the wall was that many of them, if not most of the Jews who were working on the wall, didn't even live in Jerusalem. The wall they were building would be no benefit for them. The people from over half a dozen or other towns came to rebuild a wall that would not protect them. In fact, that's the truth for Nehemiah. If you continue to read through the book of Nehemiah, get to the end, you eventually see Nehemiah went back where he came from. He went back to Susa, about 900 miles from Jerusalem. If you go back and look at verse 2, it says, The men of Jericho built the joining section. Friends, Jericho was 18 miles away from Jerusalem, on the other side of a desert. To get Jerusalem was a 10-hour walk through a hot, steep terrain that you inclined about 3,400 feet. The wall they were building was not going to protect most of the people who were building it. It was to protect others. Isn't that what revival is about? Isn't that what a waking Awakening is all about God pouring out his spirit on a culture that impacts generation or generations. People are being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lives are being changed forever. Families are breaking the chains of eternal death, entering the kingdom of eternal life. Yes, we are called. Yes, we need to get in the game. But it's not for us. It's for him and the people he wants us to reach. Every time, every time someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, made him the Lord of their lives, Scripture says there is a party in heaven. A party. Hashtag heaven rejoice, baby. Luke 15, 7 tells us there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Over 99 people who don't need to because they already have. Tell me the revival and the mission is not about us. If heaven is exploding with praise every time one person accepts Jesus, the clear reminder for you and I, the revival is not about what we are. It's what we're called to do 
and whose life is being changed by Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I desire to break in and be a part of that celebration. I wish I could. I wish I could. God, let me in. Excuse me, boys and girls. Come on. They're like, Rich, go back down to earth, you wacko. I want to be a part of the celebration of what God is doing. I want my life, and it's my desire for us as a church to have front row seats that continuing to watch God work, lives being changed. Why? Because we've become so on fire, hot for Jesus, we're consuming people who are far away from him with the power and authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That we're doing our part in our community to, to move the spiritual needle. In our community, in every single community that he calls us to. And along the way, he gets all the glory. Not me. Not you. God. We are not the hero of the story. God is. Now, I have no idea what God has been speaking and talking and pushing you through this series. But I do hope, truly hope, that's made you uncomfortable enough to start listening and brave enough to step out and start engaging the life that he's truly calling you to. Because something the American church has forgotten is a church is not something we do. It's not something we come up and show and on a Sunday morning, man, we show up to worship. We show up to worship. Our kids are worshiping right over there. They're worshiping Jesus. The little kids, little, little kids, they have their own worship experience over there. We show up here. We're worshiping up with Jesus here. We show up on Sunday to worship. But church is who we are. It's woven in the very fabric of our existence and our calling with Christ. The reason the Holy Spirit resides in us. And if we ever desire to receive a revival start, then something needs to change. And that change starts with us. Simply because as Acts 4.12, man, salvation isn't found in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind, but we must be saved. It's all in Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. And God's calling you to tell him. You. And you. And you. And you. Go tell someone.
about Jesus. Revival. Igniting in you to go reach the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. God, we're so thankful for Jesus. So thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die in our place, to take on our sins. So thankful that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rose him from the grave. Our Savior is alive, and we'll celebrate that next week like crazy. But because we believe it to be true, and we've surrendered our lives to you, we too have life. And we're brought into this amazing living organism called the church, your church, this church, vertical church. And you simply called us to go and share the message of hope. Being light and salt to the world. So God, as we wrap up this series, I pray that it doesn't wrap up with inside of us. But there's people in the room right now that are engaging with you in a level they've never experienced before, that you are calling them out. They're willing to step in into this world of reaching people for you they've never been a part of. God, I pray that you remind them that they don't do it alone. They're with you. You reside in them, but they don't do it alone because they are a part of the body of Christ. And if you're in this room, I'm not going to assume that everybody in here has that relationship. That everybody in this room has given their life to Christ. Anybody who's watching or listening online has given their life to Christ. I'm going to encourage you to come forward and surrender your life to him. Come to our prayer team. In fact, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward right now. And if you are ready, you hear a lot of about Jesus and you're ready to surrender your life, I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray with our prayer team.